Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You may be seated. Got here on time. That was close. Short scripture reading. Well, good afternoon. (laughs) Nothing. Everybody is still sleeping. That's the whole point with the three o'clock guys. So you can, you know, get your, you know, your hike on, do your brunch thing, and then come and enjoy one another. It's good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Jake. I'm part of the team here. I extend my welcome along with Jen's welcome. Thankful for Jen for stepping in uh, this week to do announcements. Uh, Jen rocks. Uh, I'm getting, uh, how's it going up there, Thomas? I'm getting this, this thing. So we'll keep on going. Uh, if you are new or just visiting, again, special welcome to you. Uh, this week uh, marks the first week of a five-week series we're doing called We Are Christ City. And if you've been around Christ City before for any length of time, uh, you know that we're very fond of saying uh, that we uh, are the church. The church is not a building. Uh, we do not go to church. Uh, we, the people, the redeemed people of Jesus are the church. Uh, The church is not a building. And as a people, we need to learn how to engage in certain uh, elements of society, different cultural spheres as the church. We're going to take five weeks and explore the topics of this week is hospitality. Uh, Next week is uh, creation care, uh, technology. And then I think we're doing one on work that Brett's going to be doing for us. And then finally, Brett's going to talk to us about deacons. A deacons, what it means to, to be a, a servant in the church and to, in fact, uh, fill that role of deacon. Is everything okay? I'm good? Yeah, awesome. Great. Hospitality. That's what this morning's, uh, this afternoon rather, uh, is about hospitality. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, why are we having a sermon on, on like sharing recipes or like having a dinner party? Or like, what's the deal with, with hospitality? Uh, I don't think I'm speaking hyperbolically or, or exaggerating when I say that the key to reaching people in the 21st century in Vancouver, the key to reaching people who don't know Jesus with the gospel in Vancouver in the 21st century, the key to reaching people as we go out and plant a church in the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood, I, I firmly believe will be hospitality. Hospitality. Not only opening our mouths and proclaiming the gospel, but opening our tables as well. One of my favorite examples of of hospitality is found in this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, If you don't have this book, let me encourage you, buy this book. It is worth it. If you're a community group leader, you already have this book because I bought it for you. Uh, So this is a good book. Uh, In the book, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, she's the author, she tells of her own story of experiencing what she calls radically ordinary hospitality. Uh, Rosaria, uh, if you don't know her story, uh, Rosaria was an openly gay uh, gender studies professor at the University of Syracuse. Her first experience of of hospitality after growing up in sort of a tumultuous uh, Catholic home was in the LGBTQ community of which she was a part of. In that community, uh, there was always a door open, always a table with a seat for her at it. And she loved it. Incredible hospitality. Uh, One day, Rosaria, as a professor at the University of Syracuse, writes a piece on on religion and politics in America, which is not a contentious issue at all. And as predicted, she gets a lot of hate mail, particularly from Christians. 
But one pastor, a, a reformed Presbyterian pastor named Ken Smith, uh, wrote to Rosaria, inviting her to his table uh, for, for conversation. Uh, two years. Two years of Rosaria being in the home of Ken and Floyd Smith. At the end of those two years, eventually Rosaria comes to confess Jesus as Lord of her life. Uh, comes to believe uh, in him. And now Rosaria lives in Durham, North Carolina with her husband. And her husband, Kent, and her are committed to, again, what they call radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. What, what do I mean by that? In her book, Rosaria defines it like this. Radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors into family of God. See, when I talk about hospitality uh, this afternoon, immediately, I think, at least, some things pop up in our head. Maybe we think of the hospitality industry, right? Where you pay someone a lot of money to be nice to you, and to like make your bed for you, and to bring you nice uh, food, right? The hospitality industry, some of you are part of that industry. God bless you, I love you. Uh, or perhaps you think of someone who's like an hospitable person, right? Like they're kind, uh, they're a good cook, uh, they leave the seat open for them on the bus beside them, right? They're like this hospitable, like warm, gentle kind of like, oh, you know, it's kind of like this throwaway word. Like they're hospitable, right? They're, they're, they're nice to me. That's not what we're talking about this afternoon. What we're talking about this afternoon is exactly what Rosaria said. How do we use our Christian home to make disciples? To reach people in Hastings Sunrise who don't know Jesus. See, the word for, for hospitality in the New Testament is this compound of love and stranger. Of love and stranger. And what you find throughout the biblical narrative, and we'll see this, what you find throughout the biblical narrative is, is that throughout it, God is concerned with bringing outsiders in as those inside, not stay inside and sort of do a holy huddle, but reach outside and, and show love for strangers. Love for the sojourner, love for, for exiles, for, for alienated people. So I want to begin this afternoon with the story of hospitality. If you'll permit me, we're going to just go in, in our Bibles and we're just going to do a big sort of overview of the story of hospitality that we find therein. It should not surprise you that that story climaxes with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And from there, I want to ask two really, really, really simple questions. The first is this. So how do we actually do this? Number one. And second, why don't we do this? How do we do this? What's at the root of why we don't do this? Ready? I gave you a chance for redemption. Come on. Yes, here we go. Okay. The story of hospitality begins, uh, as cliche as it sounds, at, at the beginning. And I, and I apologize for that right now. In Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, uh, God created us. That's what the Bible says, that God created us. Further, Genesis tells us that God created us in his image. Now, there are many, many things we could say about what it means to be created in the image of God. In fact, we have explored that to, to some extent uh, previously. But one of the things that I want to focus on today is that being created in the image of God means that we are created in the image of a triune God, of a three-in-one God, a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a community unto himself. And so we find in the Bible things like this. God is love. Well, how can God be love? 
Like I can love or, or, or Josh can love, but, but I can't be love. But God being three in one, a community unto himself can be love. The Bible can say he is love. Now, being made in his image means that you and I were made, therefore, for, for community. We were made not only to know others, but to be known ourselves. It is the deepest longing not only of us, but of those in, in this world, that we long to be known. We long for, for, for community. God creates us in his image. And what we have in the first pages of the Bible is this perfect picture of community. Man with woman, and woman with man, and man and woman with God. If you know the story of the Bible, you know that it doesn't stay that way for very long. Sin, rebellion enters the picture, and what we soon find is divine exclusion. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you know the picture, right, of like flaming swords, not exactly welcoming, right? People wandering east of Eden, it's divine exclusion, The truth then of humanity outside of Christ is that we are not insiders with our creator, but we are by nature outsiders, by nature sojourners, by nature exiles. We fast forward a number of years or just a few chapters in our Bible to Genesis. uh, We encounter Abraham. Abraham, rather God, decides that he will make a people out of Abraham. A people out of Abraham. He will show divine hospitality to this people, to these people. And specifically, he makes three promises to Abraham. And the first is this, that God says that he'll make out of Abraham's descendants a great nation. A great nation. The second is he says Abraham's descendants will be a blessing to all other nations. And finally, God says that he will make Abraham's name great. Now it's that second promise that God will bless all nations through Abraham that I want to zero in on this afternoon. See, when we think of blessing, we think immediately of stuff, right? Just stuff, which is not not entirely untrue. For Abraham to bless the other nations, it would include things like land, like children, like food. There would be material blessings in this blessing is to bring to other nations. But, but foundationally, at, at the heart of this blessing is this idea that Abraham, and through the witness of his descendants, uh, would change the trajectory of these nations, w- would change the whole course of history for them, heading towards destruction, that by the witness of Israel, they would turn and follow the one true God. This is the blessing that Abraham is to bring to the other nations. You could say it's like making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. Well, try as Israel might, uh, if you know the story, and really, if you don't know the story, I would really commend it to you. It's a really important story. Try as they might, Israel fails in their mission to bless the other nations. And there is so much we can learn about Israel's failure in their mission to bless the other nations. But I want to focus on two. Two, as it pertains to our topic of divine hospitality. The first is this. Hospitality begins with a a really clear recognition here. A clear recognition that we are not to become like the culture in every way, but we need to understand the ways, church, Christ City, the ways that we have been called to be a distinct counterculture. A distinct counterculture. Uh, all over the Old Testament, there are passages like what we find in 2 Kings 17. Speaking of Israel, it says, They despised his statutes 
and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them and that they should not do like them. I think some of us have in our head this idea. And I think particularly those around my age, it's particularly present. We have this idea in our heads that to reach our neighbors, we need to become exactly like our neighbors. Exactly like them. That we need to talk like our neighbors. That we need to watch the same shows as our neighbors, right? Like, how will I reach my neighbor if I don't know how Game of Thrones ended, right? How will I even be able to relate to them? We need to drink the same beer as our neighbors. What God was doing with Abraham and his people, and what we'll see Jesus is doing with his people, us, the church, is creating not just another one of the nations, but a distinct counterculture that is to bear witness to a new kingdom, a new way, a more fuller, whole way. The second thing we can learn from Israel's failure is that reflecting on the divine hospitality that you and I have received is, I would say, the key, the foundational thing for extending that hospitality to other people. If we're to go back into the story for a second, uh, you might know this. And again, I would really commend this story to you. Uh, Israel finds themselves in Egyptian captivity. That the covenant people of God, enslaved, uh, oppressed, sojourners and strangers... Spoiler alert, they're rescued, right? If you haven't read the Bible, maybe you saw Prince of Egypt or something. I don't know. But they're, but they're rescued. And, and, and they're rescued and, and they're brought out. And God gives them ten commandments or ten words. And following that ten commandments, we find a section of scripture we could call the judgments. It's the application of those ten commandments. God is teaching his people how they are to live out this new kingdom ethic. Look at what it says in uh, Exodus 23 verse 9. God says this, you shall not oppress a sojourner. This seems like a pretty good law, right? Like, because it's mean, and just don't do that, (laughs) right? Like, it's not, right? Like, you shall not oppress a sojourner. But look at the logic here, because you know the heart of a sojourner. You, Israel, you now delivered people were sojourners in the land of Egypt, See, what ends up happening is Israel forgets. They, they forget where they came from. They forget what God had done for them. So they begin to treat the nations the way the nations had treated them. Oppressing and, and enslaving and injustices. One of, the, one of the constant refrains in the Old Testament is this refrain, to remember. It's, it's this Hebrew word of zakar. Remember, 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 remember. And it's doing two things. The first thing of this refrain, remember, 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 is to point Israel to worship, right? Look what God's done for you. Have these feasts, have these celebrations, and remember what he's done for you. It's to worship. It's to impact their their vertical relationship. But the other thing, the other thing remembering does is it changes your horizontal relationships. It changes the way you interact with other people. He who has been forgiven much forgives much, right? Jesus said something like that, loosely. I don't know where I am right now. If we continue on in the story, if we continue on in the story, we we realize that we might not have been with Israel 
as they left Egypt. But friends, we have an exodus, an exodus moment as well. A moment where God has welcomed us, the stranger, into his family. At this momax, this momax, that's not a word. That's, that's three sermons in one day. That's what that is. This momax, that'd be a funny t-shirt. This, like the Kawhi Leonard fun guy, you guys seen that? Oh, go raps. This moment is the climax of the biblical story of hospitality. God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham, it comes to fruition. It happens. It happens in the person and work of Jesus. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the divine hospitality shown to us. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Let me skip down to verse 11. Therefore, in view of this exodus, in view of this salvation, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. And look at verse 12. Listen to this language of exclusion. And he's talking about us. Listen to this. Remember that you were at that time, what? Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus. See the turn here, Christ City. But now in Christ Jesus, you ones who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one, that's Jew and Gentile. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is the message of the gospel. That though we were alienated, excluded, strangers to the covenants of promises of God, by grace, through faith, we have been brought into a new community. Now in just a moment, we're going to talk all about doing things. And what this looks like to do this. But we cannot skip the gospel here. If we just do this, we will burn out tomorrow. Introverts like me, we will burn out like as I leave the stage. Right? We need to start with the gospel this afternoon, Christ City. The gospel that we have been saved by grace through faith is the foundation for hospitality. Indeed, it's the engine that drives hospitality. When we leave the gospel at home, we are unable to move in any sort of meaningful power. But the gospel is the foundation for hospitality. And this is precisely, you heard Sarah read this, this is precisely what Romans 15 is getting at. What does Paul say there? What does he say? Therefore... Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. To what end? To the glory of God. If we want to give God maximum glory in East Vancouver, we better be about hospitality. I, I think I can safely assume here that we're concerned with giving God's, God his glory to do his name, right? I think I can uh, safely assume that. All we're doing in radically ordinary hospitality is extending what has been extended to us, giving what we have received. And the question then is, practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we do this? Christ City, East Vancouver, going in September to Hastings Sunrise to make disciples in Hastings Sunrise. How do we, practically speaking, do this? What does hospitality look like for us? I want to answer this question by looking at the where, the who, and the what of hospitality. First, where is hospitality to take place? This might sound really obvious to you, but let me make it explicit. The best place, 
suited for making strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God is your home. Where you cook your food, where you sleep at night, where you watch TV is your home. And here we have to address the elephant in the room. Or if I can switch animal metaphors, homes are the sacred cows of Vancouver. Homes are the sacred cows of Vancouver. We watch TV, we buy books, we follow people on Instagram that fixate on the purchasing, renovating, decorating, and flipping of homes. If there's anything to do with a home, you bet it's on TV. We spend countless hours at work with our friends discussing the current housing market. If you rent, which is many of us, you complain about what you get at a certain price point. If you own, you complain about what you could have got for your house a few years ago. The phrase, home is where the heart is, couldn't be more accurate at describing what our city loves. We love our homes. We believe, we believe that the good life is only one shrewd land purchase, one great Craigslist find, or one massive kitchen renovation away. Christ City, East Vancouver. If we are to reach the people of Hastings Sunrise, if we are to practice radically ordinary hospitality, there must be a shift in our hearts away from seeing our homes as the object of our affections to viewing them as a gracious gift by which we make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family of God. And so really, 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 really simple question. Who does your home belong to? Who does it belong to? I'm not asking whose name is on the mortgage or on the rental agreement. Who does your home belong to? Does it belong to you or does it belong to Jesus? Does it belong to you for you to use however you please or does it belong to Jesus for him to use however he pleases? David sings, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The where of hospitality is the home. And if for some reason, hear me, Christ City, if some reason you don't have a home where you can host the stranger in, come alongside someone else in the community who, who, who is willing to do that. I'm inviting you right now, if you want to cook in my house, as an open invitation. That's the where. If you're still with me and you haven't walked out yet, I want to share with you the who. The who of hospitality. What might surprise some of us, I know at least I was surprised, is that the biblical picture of hospitality is equally concerned with being hospitable to those in the church as well as those outside the church. Both ideas are present uh, in the scriptures. Uh, We know this because we just read in our Galatians series. Do you remember? Of course you do. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And here everyone, we learned, meant everyone. It wasn't everyone. And especially, Paul says, to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, The context of Romans 15, a passage we've heard read twice now, is Paul urging Christians to be hospitable to other Christians. Paul says earlier in Romans 12 this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Peter says more or less the same thing. If Paul isn't good enough for you, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like all acts of love, hospitality begins, begins 
with the family of God. Listen again to the testimony of Rosaria. She writes, Kent, that's her husband, Kent and I practice daily hospitality as a way of life because we must. We remember what it is like to be lonely. We remember that odd contradiction. To be told on the Lord's Day, which is just a Sunday for a Reformed Presbyterian, to be told on the Lord's Day that you are part of the family of God, but then to limp, limp along throughout the rest of the long week like an orphan begging bread. Now don't mishear me. Community groups are great. I love community groups. I believe in community groups. We just had a community group training time. I love community groups. But if your idea of community or community groups is an hour and a half on a Wednesday night, and that's it, like that's the extent to which you are hospitable to those within the church, if that's it, then we have deceived ourselves. If we think that that is a sufficient answer to the loneliness problem, a problem that very much, much exists in the church, and I don't just say in the church, like in the church, I mean in the church, then we've deceived ourselves. Now, hospitality begins with the family of God, but it certainly, it, it has to, it has to be extended to the stranger. In, in Luke 10, there's this famous story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is asked by a law expert, who is my neighbor? In other words, he's asking, who can I get away with not loving? Who can I get away with not caring about? Who can I forget? Right? Who can I leave off my Christmas card thing? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds by, by telling a story of a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. The, the, the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is one down a road. It's treacherous. Uh, it's, 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 it's a bad journey. It's dangerous. On the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, the man is ambushed, left for dead. We, we know the story. If you went to Sunday school, perhaps you remember it. Two men walk by, both of the same ethnicity, both of the same religion, and they do nothing. And it's not until the Samaritan, this man who is the enemy, comes by that the man receives the help uh, he needs. He, he's bound up and, and taken to a hospital of sorts, and he's, he's healed. The simple point of the parable, and we must not obscure the simple point of this parable, is that the designation of neighbor, those we are to extend hospitality to, that designation knows no ethnic, religious, or socioeconomic barriers. The designation of neighbor, biblically speaking, knows no ethnic, religious, or socioeconomic barriers. And can we honestly, if we're just honest for a second, if we can't be honest here, what are we doing? Can we honestly say that that is true of our hospitality? That that is true of our table? That our table is socioeconomically, ethnically, and religiously diverse? I know that I cannot say that of mine. Some of you know we, we just moved into a place uh, in Hastings Sunrise a few months ago, uh, a place that we, we were excited to move into. I remember one day before we moved in, we're driving on the back alleyway, about to turn into the, um, the driveway there, and, and there are these men gathered outside in like lawn chairs, and there's like there's beer there, and they're smoking, and they're having a good time. And I'm like driving my white minivan with like my three children, just sort of like white knuckling it, like, okay, what's happening here? Uh, and, and so I, I, I pull in, 
And I have to confess something. My initial thought at that moment as I preached a sermon about hospitality and about a diversity of hospitality was not, honey, we should invite those guys to dinner. That was not my first thought. Now that is something to be repented of as a Christian. My my first thought was, man, I, I hope we build that fence fast. I wonder, I wonder if that thought is is perhaps a bit more pervasive than just myself. Uh, A little while on, uh, I was talking with with, with one of our friends who we moved in with, and and I was telling about these guys in the alleyway. Did you know about these guys in the alleyway who like drink beer out there and like they smoke cigarettes out there? And I'm talking about them. He's like, oh yeah. And he begins to name them. And he knows them. And he's friends with them. And he's a thousand times better Christian than I am. The who of hospitality is all people. People inside the church and outside the church. People like you and people very much unlike you. That's the who of hospitality. The what of hospitality. What does hospitality actually look like? Now some of you up until this point are quite conflicted. Uh, you agree that hospitality is in the Bible. You think you should do it. You think it's a good idea. You're just looking at your calendar right now, and you have no idea when you're going to get around to doing this. Life is crazy, right? That's probably about half our conversation to start that way. Life is busy. It's crazy. See you later. Here I want us to see what hospitality is not. Hospitality, and this should lift a huge burden off your shoulders. Hospitality is not hosting. Hospitality is not entertaining. Now, author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkin, she wrote this fantastic article a few years ago about the distinction between hospitality and entertaining. And in it, she wrote this. Entertaining is always thinking about the next course. Hospitality burns the rolls because it was listening to a story. Entertaining obsesses over what went wrong. Hospitality savors what was shared. Entertaining, exhausted, says, it was nothing, really. Hospitality thinks it was nothing, really. Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to bless. Not to miss an opportunity to quote Rosaria again, she says this, Entertainment is about impressing people and keeping them at arm's length. Hospitality is about opening up your heart and your home just as you are and being willing to invite Jesus into the conversation, not to stop the conversation, but to deepen it. We cannot miss the role of the gospel in all of this. Entertaining and hosting says, uh, look at me. Look at what I've made. Look at the house I can keep and the family I can lead. Hospitality says, look at Jesus. Look what he's done. Can you believe he loves someone like me? Someone who has toys on the floor and a poopy diaper on our carpet. And yet Jesus still loves us. One of the pitfalls we should add of hospitality is that we can fall into thinking that it's enough to simply open our homes and just feed people and never bring up Jesus. Now, I am not suggesting that you invite your neighbors over and bombard them with like a PowerPoint presentation about the lordship of Jesus. If you have one of those PowerPoint presentations, I need to see it. (laughs) 
But I'm, not, I'm saying that's not how you, I don't think you lead that way. Maybe don't lead that way. But what I am saying is if Jesus is not part of the conversation, if how Jesus has changed your life is not part of the conversation, if the gospel in some way isn't influencing your love towards that person, something there, then what you're doing is not hospitality. What you're doing is more akin to a soup kitchen or, or, or some other nonprofit. As a church, we're about both meeting physical, real needs and also proclaiming the gospel because people need both of those things. Hospitality is not hosting. It's not entertaining. It is something much more profound and life-giving. Entertaining is resourced and fueled by us. And if you're an extrovert, you can maybe do it twice a week. If you're an introvert, you want to do it once a year. <laughs> Radically ordinary hospitality founded in the gospel resourced by the Spirit, quickly, and I'm learning this, please don't think we've perfected this by any means, we're learning that this is an all-of-life, everyday sort of thing. Last question then. Having seen the story or heard the story, having seen what it looks like to do this, the real question we should ask now is, so why don't we do this? Why doesn't this come naturally to us? Now, I'm making a presumption here that by and large we don't do this. Now, I know that there are people in here who do do this, who are actually very, 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 very good at this. But on the whole, we are very bad at hospitality. Culturally speaking, ask anybody who has immigrated here, uh, we are bad at hospitality. We are not a hospitable people by nature. And one of the ideas at the heart of our, our failure could be summarized in a, in a word that we dearly love. And if you wanted to throw stones at me for the house thing, pick up another one. It's this word that we really love. It's our favorite word. It's this word here. Ready? Boundaries. Boundaries. We are to walk and live wisely. Yes. Yes. Hear me, Christ City. Yes. We're going to do a whole series in Proverbs. We care about wise living. Don't mishear me. But on the whole, we've made an idol of boundaries in our culture, both inside and outside the church. The language of boundaries is borrowed, not from the Bible, but from secular therapy and psychology. It is the language of self-preservation, not self-giving. It is the language of people like you and like me who are naturally selfish, looking for some sort of justification, some sort of smokescreen. Consider the conversation of boundaries on the cosmic level. Satan approaches the eternal father. You're, you're really? You're really going to give your only beloved son to, to save these people? Boundaries. That seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? It seems a bit much, even unhealthy. Hear me again. Plan wisely. Live wisely. A life committed to radically ordinary hospitality takes looking ahead, being diligent, making plans, and, and don't miss this, ensuring that your household is all on the same page. If you came this afternoon as a couple, I guarantee you that one of you is more excited about this idea than the other. One of you is like, oh no, what is he doing to me? The other is like, yeah, we should be about this. Here, here's a helpful tip. And, and Rosario talks about this in her book. Run at the pace of the slower person. Run at the pace of the slower person. 
Now, if you've ever trained for a running race before, you know that if you're training with a partner, you run at their pace. If they're slower, you run at, at their pace. Radically ordinary hospitality is a marathon. It's not a sprint. By God's grace, we want to be in Hastings Sunrise, opening our homes, opening our building on Sunday morning for 50 years, 100 years, 150 years until Jesus returns. This is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. But do not not do this because you are hiding behind our cultural idol of boundaries. It seems like, and this is just me, maybe I'm wrong, but when something's fun, or we actually love that thing, we we find that those boundaries are actually quite flexible all of a sudden. Really, there's quite a lot of room there. Boundaries has become a wise-sounding way of getting out of things we don't want to do. The North American Christian experience, the North American Christian experience of hosting people we already like, doing it once a week when it works for us, and then crossing them off the list of people we have to see ever again, we need to see this. This is a historical anomaly in the life of the Christian church, and we've justified it as normative. It is a historical anomaly in the life of the Christian church, and we have justified it as normative. So let me end with this. Friends, we are imperfect people in need of grace, in need of the gospel. You see now why we had to begin at the gospel. Otherwise, this will crush us. This will destroy us. We are imperfect people in need of grace, in need of Jesus. As imperfect people, we love our free time more than our neighbor. As imperfect people, we schedule our week. We sign our kids up for programs. We we book our vacations without any thought as to how this will impact our ability to regularly and generously, to regularly and generously show radically ordinary hospitality. As imperfect people, fear stops us before we can even get going, thinking to ourselves, what would they think of my house? What would they think of my food? What would other people think of us having this person over? Are they even safe? We are imperfect people in need of the gospel. So let me end there. I want you to savor the gospel this morning, rather this afternoon. In need of the reminder that we come into this world as outsiders, strangers to the covenants of promise, you and I must see today that in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by his blood. In Christ Jesus, if he is your king today, you have been brought near by his blood. Behold the gospel this afternoon. Savor your salvation, Christ City, East Vancouver. Enjoy Jesus right now. And having done all of that, having done all of that, walk to the house next door. Walk to the office across the hall. Walk towards those guys hanging out in the alley behind your house. And begin to use your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. If we are going to make disciples in Hastings Sunrise, this has to be a part of what we're about. Would you stand with me as we respond? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.